great to have you all here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to tell you that, uh, especially for those of you who weren't here on Tuesday last week, if you are here and new, you missed out on an opportunity that we're going to give you again later today. So if you'd stop by my office, we have Bibles for everyone who is new. In fact, if you've lost your Bible or forgot it at home or anything like that, come on by and get another one, because I hope you need it in every class. Uh, anyway, we've got Bibles for you. If you weren't here on Tuesday last week when we did the handout, or maybe it was Wednesday, I don't remember, but um, just come on by. Um, it, it'll help you find out where I live anyway. So my office and uh, either Marion or I, if I'm not around, Marion will be sure to get you one. If I get a chance to meet you, I'd like that even better. We have many students who are already off campus. So we've got people out in the mountains, explore, learning outdoor leadership, and I hear they've already done some radical stuff because they've been posting crazy things. And uh, then we've got a couple of globe trekkers who left on Thursday. They're doing their around the world. That's the third year of the intercultural studies program. And they do a right around the world trip Kind of an amazing race style. This year we've only got two. Uh, we're hoping for more next year, but um, it's a great experience, a trip of a lifetime to see what God's doing in the world around him. And then we've got some students who are at Bowdoin. These are our inmate classmates. And Gord Allard is the head of that program, and it is a fascinating, fascinating program. So I'm going to ask Gord to come up here. He's got some special guests here that I want to invite him to welcome here. As you come, Gord, I also want to say I, I've got two very special friends in the room. One is Mark Peterson, who's in from Toronto. Welcome here, Mark. And another is Frio Horo. How do you say your last name? What's your last name? Horiato. Horiato. Hoyato. Hoyato. No R. Hoyato. Firo hosted Elaine and I in Ethiopia this summer. And he is here to take the digital media program. How cool is that? Yeah. How cool is that? And he got in last night, so uh, welcome him here too. Gord. Hi. So how many of you are in the Encounter program? Come on. Quite a few. Um, so, as Mark has already alluded to, uh, we are actually teaching the Encounter program in Bowdoin Penitentiary. And uh, we've been doing that since September last year. So, we're actually, in two days, we will celebrate our one-year anniversary for that. And um, we are thrilled to have a special guest with us here today. But before I ask him to come up, I just want to ask... If, like the front row there, and then I think there's some other stragglers that are involved in this program, just stand up for a sec. I'm not going to single you out. Uh, these are our volunteers, so let's give them a great hand. And, and you can sit down, not so fast, Henry. Not so fast, Henry. Uh, among that group is uh, Bill and Emma that you'll recognize and Melody Dimert, they're currently teaching the program right now. Henry, I have asked to stand. Henry uh, is the former um, assistant warden of intervention. Did I get that right? He's retired now, and Henry 
I believe that the program that we're teaching in Bowdoin is actually part of Henry's legacy. He has gone above and beyond to help us establish this and to help us expand it. So I'd like you to say thank you to Henry. Now, if you're an inmate, one of the things that you really hope for is something called an ETA, which is an escorted time away. Even better is a UTA, which is unescorted time away. But as your security level, as you become less of a security risk, they start to give you privileges. And our guest today is on his very first ETA. And he... So I'd like to ask Jason to join me here. This is Jason. And I'm just going to ask him a few questions. And uh, smile, because you might be an intimidating group. <laughs> Welcome. So just can you tell us how long you've actually been incarcerated, Jason? Three years. Three years. and. How old are you? I, I, 33. 33. My daughter's 33, so I can relate to that. So, Jason, uh, this might seem like a no-brainer, but would you consider yourself a follower of Jesus? Yes, very much. Cool. And, um, like, before you went into prison, would you consider have considered yourself a follower of Jesus at that time, too? Yeah, um, it was very one-sided, though, uh, relationship. I was uh, very self-centered. Uh, yeah, it was pretty much one-sided. Maybe like an insurance policy? <laughs> so I hear you saying that you're a follower of Jesus, but not so much before. You were a believer, maybe. So one would think that prison might change you, but maybe not for the better, but it sounds like it's changed you for the better. How, can you say something about that? Yes, uh, prison, it's been a huge blessing to me, uh, brought me way closer to God. I was, uh, like I said, real selfish, uh, taught me to put him first in all I do, to love him with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind, and yeah, it's just, uh, since I commenced the position of first in my life, it's been a blessing. So you're enrolled in Prairie's program there. You've, you're on your, you're about to start your fourth class. Is that right? And that's going to be with Emma, who I introduced you to earlier. Can you say something about how that's affecting you, how your studying uh, in this program is affecting you? Yeah, the studying with uh, Prairie has been uh, eye-opening. It taught me, like, to critique, to research, like, more above that is how to worship God and to praise Him in a proper manner. Uh, it taught me to choose a blessing instead of the curse, to choose life rather than death. Uh, prairie's been a blessing to me uh, significantly, and I'm sure it'll be a blessing to many more to come throughout uh, 
this generation. Thanks. Um, so Jason is getting to be what they call a short timer. And uh, he's been moved to minimum security. And that's one of the reasons he can join us today. And uh, he's hoping that maybe in a year, he'll actually be able to be released. So do you have any hopes and dreams for when that time comes? My hopes and dreams are to be a support and hope to others, uh, to better my education, to bolster that, uh, that my knowledge to be that support and hope to others, yeah. As a matter of fact, Jason has an appointment after this with the admissions people. So, Jason, thank you so much for being willing to be here. And as he goes, do you want to just give Jason a little idea of how welcome he would be if he was a student here? Thank you, Jason. You are welcome here. We're honored to have that opportunity to work with you and work with others. We understand that there's an opportunity of opening up Drumheller next, and then there are other things out in BC that are on the cusp, so we're actually getting a little bit nervous about how much we might have on our desk. But there we go. Uh, so our series this semester let me just make sure I'm staying on track, yep. Our series this semester, every semester, for those of you who haven't been here before, every semester we tackle one subject in Community Chapel, and we unpack it in about 12 um, messages. So there's about 12 Tuesdays. And then we'll kind of almost write our own book on that topic. Um, we've done some really, really good series, and we keep looking to make it better. And I think this series has been in the oven being prepared for something between five years and 20 years in my own case. So I've been really, really excited about a series on prayer. I think prayer is tremendously important. And then you might say, but why don't you have a house up there on your splash page as the title page? And the reason is kind of the anchor verse for the whole series uh, that's depicted by that picture is Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. So on that splash page up there is sort of a, a depiction of these two verses. You can look it up or you can just sit back and listen and I'll, uh, I'll read it. Revelation 8, verses 3 and 4. Another angel. So this is a, a, pic a picture of heaven, the throne room of the universe. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. That's kind of this little thing down here, we think. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Here it is. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. This is the value that God puts on our prayers. This is the importance. This is his way of working with us. 
And when God works, miracles happen. Sometimes they're kind of natural looking, and other times they're just remarkable um, interventions. But this is the way God works. He wants our prayers. And we kind of have this thing about talking about prayer and study it and learn about it and talk about it a lot, and then we talk about it some more. We kind of never get around to it, right? So one of our goals coming out of this series is to learn about it through the prayers of several people in the Bible. There will be 12 different prayers that we look at in the series. Actually, not counting this one, so it'll be 11. I'm setting the table for the rest. Um, I th it might be 11. Um, but in any case, it'll be different prayers. And that was not an easy challenge to find which 11 to look at. I assure you we missed the most important because one or two you're going to have saying, that one we should have done. And I'm going, you're right. There are only 500 prayers in the Bible, and we had to choose a dozen. There are also another 500 references or instructions on prayer. And that tells us also that the Bible, one of its central pillars to the teaching of the Bible is prayer. That sets the table. Now, if we could pause for a moment <clears throat> to open in prayer, uh, I, th I think I'm going to join Daniel and JJ in taking off my shoes. I'd invite you to stand, if you wish, kick off your shoes, because I do want you to have a st stand up. I do want you to remember this chapel as a very important subject. We are walking on holy ground, and I'd like you to feel the ground underneath you, and I'd like you to begin to think that this is so important to God that we, this is our access to the throne room. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the privilege of coming to you. We thank you for the privilege of coming together to you. We thank you for the privilege of coming alone to you. We ask that you would open your heart and heaven's doors to us and show us things we could not have dreamed. Teach us, we pray, about yourself. Teach us, we pray, about the importance of your kingdom that is being built here on earth. Teach us to pray, to do work with the Almighty. So bless us today. Help us to hear from you. Bless us through this series. Help us to hear from you. Bless us this whole school year. Give us harmony together as we learn to work together and with you in prayer. We ask this in that most powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Have a seat. Please, keep your shoes off if you dare to kick them off. Forgive your neighbor for the smelly socks. We're not that far into the semester. They probably don't smell that much. So there we go. I hope you begin to understand how important this subject is. When Jesus walked into the temple, uh, there are two times that are recorded in the Gospels where he went in and turned the tables. One is in early in his um, life or ministry, and that was recorded in John chapter 3. The one that we're going to look at is the last week, and that's recorded in Mark as well as Matthew and, and Luke. So uh, the... the the second time was during the last week. There had just, he'd just done his triumphal entry, and he'd come into um, Jerusalem. And that we've done a series on the teachings of Jesus during that last week. Why would we do that? Well, because that last week was critical to his defense. What was happening was, like uh, what goes on in the Jewish tradition of that time, 
They bring a lamb into their home to look at and make sure it is without blemish. They do that one week before Passover. The lamb that they will have for Passover is brought into their home, and they make sure this is a lamb that is without blemish. This is Jesus coming into the temple one week before. The triumphal entry was that entrance of the lamb. And it was that time when he was going to unpack his magnum opus, his great defense. And one of the first things he did was he walked into the temple and turned over the tables, which was figurative and literal. So Mark 11, verses 15 to 17 is the anchor text. And if you'll flip to the next one, Matt, that'd be great. Um, we're going we're gonna to look at the, the place where Jesus was quoted, quoting from through this series. But here it is. Jesus is walking into the temple. They came to Jerusalem. He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. So the church, the temple, the places of worship are not places of business. They are places to turn our faces to God. That's what Community Chapel is all about, is face time with the Almighty. And Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. It's not a highway. It's a pause place. And he was teaching them and saying to them, it is, not, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus is quoting from the book of Isaiah primarily. The den of robbers comes out of um, Jeremiah. So he pulled together two things. What's interesting about how the Jewish people would speak, teach, and talk and, and, and interact is what's left out is tremendously important. So he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. This morning, all we're going to do is unpack that little phrase, for all the nations. Okay, um, there are times, the, the other two passages that come in Mark, Matthew and Luke don't actually quote for all the nations. So there, you know, there's that sort of different rec record of what he said at that point. But it comes out of Isaiah chapter 56, verses 6 and 7. All of 56 is about the foreigners worshiping in the temple. The whole world is to be welcome here to meet, have face time with God. The whole world, all colors, all nationalities, all religions are welcome here. The doors are open and the welcome mat is out. The coffee's on. So in verse 6 and 7, and the foreigners, note the, the context of this setting, who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, but holds fast my covenant, these will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's the text that's on there. Looks a little small. Whoever made this slide should have smartened up. But you've, you know where it is, Isaiah 56. I made the slide. No, I'm, not, I'm not knocking anybody else. Now, this context of referring to foreigners goes all the way back. It's a reference to Abraham. Isaiah was referring 
to the blessing that God was going to have. Isaiah might not have known it, but he was bringing in the very first promise to Abraham. He says in Genesis chapter 12, um, leave your, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will dishonor those who curse you. Those who dishonor you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Isaiah 56 is carrying that forward, and Jesus brought it right into the new covenant. Okay, that's the context. My house. Jesus says, my house. This is the Lord speaking through Isaiah, saying, my house. This is the Lord's house. Not the preacher's house, not the elder's house, not the deacon's house, not the worship team's house, not the, not the, the busybody's house. When you get to your churches, please, very gently but very certainly, bring your churches back to the Lord whose house it is. My house is not anybody else's. It's grand theft to take this away from anybody else. It's stealing from the Almighty. And we have the privilege of being guardians of his house. You, as you go out from here, will have that privilege. You're going to be so itching to get back to your churches and say, you know what, you shouldn't be doing that. No, no, be gentle, be careful, be gracious. But it's a high call. And it's one that should be recognized. Unless, here's the other one that I wanted to say about his house. He has to build it. It's not all the work of all the people. Unless, you know, you, you can finish it, right? The Lord? Yeah. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, in vain who build it. The Lord must build his house. Now, that context, Psalm 127, is talking about the home itself. Okay? But run over to Paul. What did Paul say? Don't you know that you're a temple of the Holy Ghost? You see, in the first century, the temple fell. A great demise for the Jewish tradition. And religion began to crumble. Oh, no, no, no. We've got that one taken care of. We've been building, putting it back up, right? No. What Paul said, we are the portable. We are the walking temples. We are the house that God is building. We have a high and sacred call to be his house. Therefore, as we carry ourselves forward in all of our work, in all of our places, we need to remember we are the house that he's building. We are the work that he's about. And it's through us that he wants to do the work of reaching the others. And it's such a great opportunity to be invitational about it rather than preachy about it, right? We have this opportunity of being lovers of God and inviting others to be lovers of God. By the way, if, if you're new here, we love kids, babies in here. So that was my granddaughter that was coming down here, and Gord's holding his, and, you know, it's all good. We're a young community, and we're family-friendly, so don't worry. If that's distracting to you, we got other things that will distract you even more. <laughs> but it's 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, from whom, for whom you have been made by God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, his house. I added that. It's almost, you know. 
Shall be a house of prayer, point two. Shall be a house of prayer. Now, there are many activities that are good ones in the church. I'm back to corporate collective worship. And there are, they're biblical, not all of them, but, but most of them are. Communion is certainly highly biblical. Teaching the Word, certainly intensely biblical, important. Worship, which I think today's worship is sort of the liturgical prayers being put to song nowadays. So if you want to, if you enjoy liturgy, you probably enjoy worship. If you enjoy worship and music, it's so close to praying together that I see this as one simple continuum. Therefore, if you're most comfortable over here, don't knock this over here. Just leave them alone. It's okay. Now, in preparing for this message, I, list, I read uh, fr or listened to fresh, fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala, as well as um, read a couple of other books. One that I read was C.S. Lewis, Prayer, and it's, it's Prayer, and it's called, uh, subtitle, Letters to Malcolm. Very interesting read. Now, what C.S. Lewis talked about was, he said, I have very little to say about public prayers. He didn't really like his Anglican liturgical tradition. And I'm not sure he should have spent a whole lot of time because I have less to say about it than anything else. No, actually, I have less to say about sports is what he said. So um, there you go. That's his high view. And then he spent the next three or four chapters knocking liturgical prayer. Kind of like, hang on. But he did say this. He enjoyed visiting an Orthodox church where different people were praying in different ways. Some were kneeling, some were standing, some were prostrate on the, prostrate on the floor, some were um, sitting, but everyone was praying in their own way. They weren't worried about the people around him, and that was one of the reasons he was bothered by the Anglican distraction of trying to do all of this together. Here, we welcome your own expression. Please, don't worry about what the person beside you is thinking. If you are, you're worried about the wrong person, right? We've got to get that one that compass set right. And we worry about our own worship with the Lord. Then he went on to say, I find communion with God to be amazing because it's my own personal conversation with him. And much of the time, I'm not even speaking. I'm listening. Okay? That hearkens to one of the messages that we'll have on Samuel. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And that's going to be an amazing, amazing chapel. That's James Houston coming in from Regent College, sort of for the launch of our Christian formation program. So there are these different activities of the church. Around here, we want to give you freedom to do it as you want. If you are most comfortable sitting, please, just stay sitting. Just do FaceTime with God. If you want to stand, if you want to kneel, we want you to do that. And we want you to just have that personal face time. And we'll do the singing together, and we'll pray together, and we'll get that all figured out how we do it. Um, and every year it'll be a little bit different. In our series, we'll be looking at adoration. You know, there are different ways of breaking this up, and some use this ACTS, A-C-T-S, as their way of, of analyzing prayer. My house should be a house of prayer. What do, how do people look at it? Um, adoration. So we're going to look at um, a couple of sections on adoration. Specifically, we're looking at Hannah and Mary's prayers of praise to God. Um, then there's C, Acts, adoration, confession. Confession, we're going to look at David in uh, Psalms, uh, where he had his confession, repentance, prayers. 
Then Thanksgiving, we're looking at Hannah again and Mary in their response to their answers to prayer, where they were so thankful. And we're going to finish with Mary's uh, Magnificat, which is a great sentence to or a set, setting for Christmas season. And uh, then in supplication, about half the prayers in the Bible are about supplication. This is probably the toughest work, the intercession. And throughout history, God has raised up key people to pray for his action. You, I can give you a long list of, of examples of this, but throughout history, I mean, he brought different people who would be prayers. Moses, who was a prayer, and we're going to look at the prayer, prayer of Moses as he prayed for the people of Israel, bringing them out of, of um, Egypt. Um, we're going to look at Abraham and how he was raised up to listen, obey, and worship. We're going to look at Joshua, who was listening and obedient. Solomon listening and his dedication. The prophets Esther and Daniel, who asked the people to pray for them so that they could take a stand. Intercession, supplication. Um, Jesus, the great intercessor, whose life work it is now, right? To be praying on our behalf. Intercession is tremendously important. And there are different ones of you in this room who will be intercessors. If you feel God calling you and tagging you on that one, it's a high call. You can be an amazing, effective tool, amazingly effective tool for the Almighty as an intercessor. I think one of the miracles that we've seen here at Prairie, and there are people here who could describe the from and to really well, and I am amazed every time I begin to think about it, but when we arrived and to where it is now, we've gone from a house divided to a house united, living in harmony. We've gone from so many things. We were losing a million dollars a year to making a million dollars a year. You know, I, I don't really want to make it about that, but it's amazing how productive and profitable harmony is. And we've gone from Programs where we kind of apologize for them to one, ones where we can poster boy them. We can show them off and we can say, well, this will be among the best in the world. And we're going to be leaders in this area and this area and the Not that we need to be leaders, but that's what God has done as he's answered prayers. It's stunning how often Elaine and I hear someone say, I'm praying for you every day or I'm praying for you regularly. It's crazy. How many people are praying for you as students every day? Because God wants to do something through you. And they see things happening here at this school that will enable you to make a great difference. If you're called to the work of intercession, embrace it as a high call and a great honor. Jesus prayed many, many times. The examples of, of him praying before he did miracles are, you know, continuous. He was sent off. He went and pulled out into the desert for 40 days, right, to fast and pray. Let's not forget fasting. That's not my topic today, but it's an important part of this prayer work. He went out to the desert. He spent 40 years there, and then he went into ministry. Yeah. It was important that he get prayer at the front end of it. Before feeding 5,000 and then again 4,000, he prayed. 
before healing people, and I'm sure throughout his walk about every day, he was praying, casting out evil spirits, and then, of course, I think his greatest recorded prayer for us was in Gethsemane before the crucifixion. And that's John recorded well in John 17, where he is pleading with the Father for what? The unity of the believers, the love between the believers, because as we love one another, the world will know that Jesus came from God. We, that is our best testimony, not going out and standing on the street corner and, and yelling from a soapbox. No, no, just love your neighbor. It's good. It's really good. It works. Because people look at you going, that is so different. How do they do that? It's a miracle for us to get along. I think it's actually the greatest miracle that people in ministry get along. Yeah? You got some unhappy churches you come from? I know. We know. We've seen it. We've lived it. We've been guilty. But we have an opportunity to be different and distinct from the world, and we want that to be our marker, that he loved one another. Wow. So Jesus went from his ministry here to his current ministry as an intercessor. That is his primary current role. It might be, I haven't figured out why Jesus had to leave for the Holy Spirit to come, but it might be because he needed to be in the throne room where the center of action was being focused, interceding on our behalf. But that's out of Romans 8 and Hebrews chapter 7. I won't read them. Um, they're very, very interesting texts about God's, uh, Jesus' current work. The launch of the church. My house will be called a house of prayer. Acts 1. The believers were gathered together. This is verse 14 in Acts. Uh, the believers were gathered together and all with one accord were praying. And then, of course, we all know all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were in prayer. Jesus had ascended. The Holy Spirit had not yet come. And then Acts 2, shazam. Now, I think God planned that and he put it in their hearts to be in prayer together as, a, as an example for us. But I think the prayer was really important. And that tipped the scales of all of the rest of history, the launch of the church. Peter and John going in Acts chapter 3 to the temple at the hour of prayer. They heal the lame man and get in trouble for it. Acts chapter 4, um, they dedicated themselves to prayer and to speak the word of the Lord with boldness. That was their prayer. But I think the one that hit me as most interesting is Acts chapter 9. Okay, it's the story of Saul of Tarsus on his way to Damascus. And he has a vision, a blinding vision, let's say, of Jesus. And Saul, who is very, very uh, fervent about his walk as a follower of the Almighty, He's a very, very sincere believer in the Creator God. And in fact, what he's trying to do is root out this one heretic, Jesus. And then Jesus shows up, and he's going, who are you? Like, I'm just trying to do the right thing. I think that's what he was saying. And I think he was stunned that Jesus was for real, the Son of God. I am Jesus, the one you persecuted. Oh, I think he had such amazing and intense repentance 
He went to Damascus and was waiting at the house of Judas, blind, when Ananias was told by the, the Lord, angel of the Lord, came to Ananias and said, go over to that house called Straight and go to Judas's house and uh, there's, a, there's, there's someone in there who's blind. I want you to go and pray for him. It's Saul of Tarsus. Now, Ananias knew better than that, and he began to explain to God the ways of the world. This is a bad guy. It's a bad guy. He's going to kill me. Now, what did the Lord say then? Go. Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of, of Tarsus named Saul. Here's the evidence of his conversion. Here's the evidence of his revival. For, behold... He is praying. I think prayer is both the cause of revival, it's the instigator, it's the opening the doors of heaven to free the Holy Spirit here. It's also the evidence of the work that God has done. We go to prayer when we're alive. And here he was, behold, the evidence that Ananias would, would, would be okay, behold, he's praying, it's okay. He is a true follower of the Lord Jesus. I'm adding that. For the nations. Um, there are many, many things, you know, I can go from Abraham all the way through to Timothy. But Paul in his uh, letter, probably all the way through to Revelation, is what I should say, Genesis to Revelation. This is a work for the nations. This is for all the nations. This is for the Jewish people to be the people through whom our Savior comes that all the families of the earth will be blessed. Wow. 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is talking to Timothy saying, here's my instruction. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. It's something that we are, we are those all people. I don't know that many Jewish people that are here. We are in this family because of that time and that work. We thank God for the Jewish people. Wow. Without them, Jesus might not have, no, I'm sure he would have. He would have figured it out. But, you know, this is a chance for us to thank the way God worked through the Jewish people and then carry on this work as part of his priesthood, as part of his holy work. 1 Timothy chapter 2 goes on, for kings, for all who are in high places. He's not saying just for people in the church. He's praying for all people, all nations. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Paul really understood from the day at Damascus on, and he dedicated his life. I want to finish with just one quick picture. It's a Rembrandt. It's, uh, it's in Russia. And it's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Um, I read a book in preparing for this again by Henry Nouwen. It's also called the same as the, as the picture, The Return of the Prodigal Son. It's a beautiful picture. Here is the father welcoming his son back. And Henry Nouwen observed that he could relate to the, the prodigal who left and then came back because he had spent... Um, time in the halls of Notre Dame and Yale and Harvard, 20 years teaching in those great places. 
And in fact, when he arrived at L'Arche Community in Toronto, uh, home for handicapped adults, he felt like he finally had come home to where God wanted him. Isn't that interesting? He wasn't doing something schleppy like hanging out in the street and wasting it. No, no, he was because he wasn't using the gifts that God had given him, the treasure that, of his inheritance. He finally came home to serve where God wanted him in the large community. That's the way he put it. Then he said, I could also relate to the older brother because, and some of us will be able to relate to that prodigal. We've left and we've come back. Then he said, I could relate also to the older brother who kind of did the proper thing, but I was kind of a little bit standoffish, a little bit aloof, not really accessing the inheritance that was mine and I was will working with, I was living there with. I'm thinking about this series. I'm reading this book about the prodigal son. You're going, those two are not connected. No, no, I think they are. Because I think how we access our inheritance as living and working people, Christians in this world, whether we're nurses or parents or pilots, we access it through prayer. This is our inheritance. Let's come home to the heart of the Father and learn really to pray. There are two groupings of prayer. You know, there's sort of the private prayer and then there's the community prayer. Um, and I kind of like that better than looking at ACTS, A-C-T-S, because I think listening is missing in ACTS. I'm not sure where the L is. And, and stuff like that. But I think there is this communion with God, and then there is the work we do as a community um, in, with God. Then I looked at how did Jesus pray, and if you divided his, you would find them between communion with God and work for the kingdom. Hmm. Maybe that's even better. But either way, however you want to dissect prayer, it's important. And that's why we're doing this series. Allow me to close in prayer if you would stand, and then Afterwards, put your shoes on because we've got so much work to do. You've got places to go. Father, we thank you again for this time. Teach us to pray that we would be better instruments for the work you want to do in our own hearts and for the kingdom. Bless us, we pray, so that we can be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go in the name of Christ.